Hi, this is Zach from the Zacrilege cast, and I took a left at the valley. Fantastic. Did I get it? Wow, first take. I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists. You know, we don't have non-astrologers and all that. But with the religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance, and you just call it faith in unsubstantiated claims. That's something to be ashamed. I'm an atheist. Coming at you from Snowy BC, this is Left of the Valley. My name is Kevin, and my girlfriend says I have two faults. One, I don't listen. Two, something else I wasn't paying attention. Oh my god. <laughs> Joining me as usual is a team who had a life, then someone told them to open a Facebook account. Uh, so true. I can blame you. That's why I just never go on Facebook anymore. <laughs> she took a reality check to the bank, and it bounced. <laughs> Nancy. Oh my gosh. Well, they say reality is for those that have no imagination, so I, I, I guess I fit that one. <laughs> <laughs> and she'll tell you, you know you're awesome when people that don't even know you hate you. <laughs> that is so true, though. <laughs> that is so true. <laughs> and she got kicked out of math class when she answered mouthwash to what comes after 69? Kirsten. Oh, my God. <laughs> true, though. <laughs> so true. Kirsten, how could you? She's speechless. I think we're all speechless. <laughs> me? I'm never speechless. Guys, welcome back. <laughs> I know. I don't know if that. that's if that's the welcome we're getting. I don't know. You should be used to it by now. Yeah, I know, I, I, maybe that's the problem. We are used to it. Oh well. Uh, guys, Carry on. Welcome back. I hope you had a great week. So today, that's it. After, my God, many years of uh, not being with us, Matt Dillahunty will join us later in the second half of the show. I'm so excited. Yes, so am I. I have so many questions I want to ask him. Yes, but first, let's do a little chit-chat. This is, of course, for our listeners that do remember we're coming on our five-year anniversary. Uh If you got questions... Anything you want us to answer, you send them to leftatvalley at outlook.com and we will answer them. And we'll just do a bit of a ballad through all the years and Yay. what yeah. we did and the stuff, I, the good stuff we did. Yeah. Just, just don't years. ask us, why the heck do you keep doing this? That we don't <laughs> yeah, answer that. Be, we might no, not no, have but an that's actually that. a really easy one. It's because yeah. we enjoy it. That's true. Yeah, exactly. well, that's the true. only reason we continue that's doing true. this. We that's enjoy true. it. <laughs> Asked and answered. There we go. Did you guys hear uh, that NASA confirmed that Opportunity has died? <gasps> yeah. Did you hear that it's, it's last word? Yes, it was <gasps> impeach Donald Trump. <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, so the, so the, uh, the little robot went to hibernation uh, in June of 2018 after a sandstorm, and uh, NASA lost contact uh, until they reestablished contact February 12th. They tried Aww. to. Um, the, the original mission for the rover was supposed to be 90 days, mm-hmm. and the wow. thing went on for 14 years and 293 days. Now, good that look. is money for your buck. That's, yeah. that's a good little robot right there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's 55 times longer than originally planned. The rover rolled 45.16 kilometers, Aww. or 28 miles for an American friend. A good rover. It also climbed Cape Tribulation at 135 meters high, which is 443 feet for American listeners. And it was launched in 2003 with its twin, which was Spirit. But Spirit died in 2011. So uh, 
So Curiosity landed in, in uh, 2012, and it's still active. So they still have a rover out there. Mm-hmm. Now, some people were asking, why, why don't you try to you know, have one spirit to try to jump boost the other one or something like, something like that? Well, the answer to that is they're on vastly different parts of the planet. Yeah. You know, it, it would take miles and miles and miles. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. No, but you didn't say what his last words were. Well, well, you know what? I couldn't actually confirm oh, that. Okay. I saw that. But nobody cares if it's real or not. It's well, just yeah, cute. we could we, Okay, well, you say them then. <laughs> it just makes me happy. His last words were, my battery's low and it's getting dark. Yeah, so apparently. Oh I've, I've seen that reported, but I didn't see that out of an actual oh, NASA, NASA report. We'll just pretend it's real. So I don't know if it's actually real or not, so that's why I didn't include that in there. Um, speaking of Mars, uh, the Mars One Company which offered a one-way trip to Mars, went bankrupt. Surprise! Wow. Yeah, they were supposed to be become a, like a, a private enterprise that would offer the uh, chance to do the first human colony on Mars. Uh, 200,000 people had applied. Um, there was a short list of 100 people, and six Canadians were actually on it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cool. So they, they were hoping in 2013, they were hoping to uh, establish a permanent settlement. They wanted to launch uh, 24 people in 2024. Mm. Um, Would you go? No. It's a good question. I don't know. I 100% think that we should colonize the moon before Mars. Like, use the moon as a test. Yeah, but the, the thing is, is you actually have a better chance of a colony actually thriving on Mars. Really? Well, th- there's there's a bit of an atmosphere. That's true. There's a, there's a bit of sun. Um, you'd have to take everything and build everything uh, because that's what's expensive about a, 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 a building a colony it's the least stuff you need to bring with you because you have like a source mm-hmm. of water something like that yeah but it's easier, easier to, to get stuff to the moon well it is it's a shorter <laughs> trip absolutely but there is absolutely nothing there you might have ice and that's about yeah. it which is it's a big deal I mean that's a challenge it's a, it's a hell of a challenge it's have a, a, challenge. a lunar no, colony only, hell of a challenge but not then, only for the environment but a challenge for engineering. the the team that's going psychologically yes how do they deal with adversities and things like that I think if you can colonize the moon you like if you can do that then getting to Mars is easy because also then you can instead of trying to get from Earth to Mars you can leave from the moon it's easier to leave the moon I I agree I think I think the moon should have like some kind of like a like a refueling station or a jump off point or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right on that point. But have a full fledged colony. It'll happen. Oh, eventually. Day. 300 years on the road or something like that. So the Dutch company, Mars One was a Dutch company. It was it estimated it needed $6 billion uh, in funds. Uh, and they were hoping to get that through sponsors. And fortunately, it failed. So the company went bankrupt. It'll, it'll come back in another form. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Speaking of uh, interesting foreign lands, in Russia, there's a place called uh, Novaya Zemlya, and it's an archipelago, and it's been inv- <laughs> it's been uh, invaded by a whole bunch of hungry polar bears. Oh, that's so <laughs> sad. Oh, yeah, I read about that. Yeah, there's about 3,000 people living there. <laughs> At first, they were trying to blare the car horns and using dogs to scare the bears away, but no, no the bears said no. We're taking over so this place. Hungry. Yes, yes. And the thing is, it's a protected species in uh, Russia, so it's prohibited to kill them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they're it's hungry. Be- they're hungry, exactly. It's becoming a, pro- a problem. And <laughs> you have roving gangs of bears. <laughs> Who would have thought that? Yeah. Well, there's, the ice isn't 
You could very I'm well sturdy enough for them to go out and eat seals. You could to- totally see the same thing happening right here in Canada, in places like yeah. uh, Churchill Falls and stuff like that, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, did you guys hear? There's an engineer in Denmark who found a 3.6 foot long medieval sword. Really? Yes, which likely belonged to an elite warrior during the 1300s. Uh huh. Yes, he pulled it out triumphantly out of the sewer. <laughs> The, uh, Close to the stone. It's quite authentic, uh, and it was probably dropped in the mud in, uh, oh, I'm going to massacre this, Akborg. Now, of course, now the sword has actually uh, been cleaned up, and it's actually featured in a museum that in the same so town. Cool. Well, is it a Viking sword? No, okay, no. That's it, where it, the Vikings came from. Uh, yes, but it's, it seems to be simply medieval, and it probably belonged to a noble person, because oh, a sword okay. of that quality mm-hmm. would have been extremely rare at mm-hmm. the time. Wow. So it was probably a rich person's mm-hmm. sword, or like a, a knight, or something like that, and it died during battle, lost a sword, fell in the mud. Many, many years later, city was built over top, and... Yeah, you never pops know what you're going to find Yeah, it's, it's not quite the sword in the rock there for legend, <laughs> yeah. you know, when it comes out of the yeah. sewer. But that's pretty much it. All that's right. an exciting find. I think so, too. That'd yeah. be pretty cool. Yeah. Medieval sword like that, it's, it's, yeah, it'd be pretty cool. All right, my dear Nancy, you up to give us a top ten? I love today's top ten. Ooh, I'm excited. This is so much fun. We were all looking, you know for uh, expanding our abilities and and having a better skill set to do mm-hmm. something and you want to find some practical things that uh, we can we can expand our lives so here we go this is the top 10 did alleged ways to acquire supernatural abilities oh my Whoa. gosh i'm going to try them all i know <laughs> I know this is just so much on Hulu <laughs> that there was an actual list. Is there like biting uh, by a radioactive spider or something like that? Well, let's see if it's on the list. We'll start <laughs> with number 10. Have a little patience. The number 10 way of acquiring supernatural abilities is by obtaining grimoires. Okay. Uh, do we know what grimoires yes, are? It's yes, it's a yeah. big magic book. Yeah, so, you know, they're really good for for being a superhero because they're textbooks of magic and they're popular in the voodoo culture of Haiti. And many believe they first circulated in Europe during the 18th century where they used to be mass-produced in the forms of 6th and 7th books of Moses. So these are pretty pretty powerful and they contain instructions on how to summon spirits, cast (laughs) spells, and perform rituals. Maybe we should so give a disclaimer right now. <laughs> Left to the Valley crew does not endorse yeah, using no. Grimoire to <laughs> actually acquire real superpowers. Uh, or do we? It's probably not going <laughs> yeah, to happen. Are no. you telling me that this list may not be valid I, for ex- for actually having super? Are you destroying my whole top <laughs> ten before you even get to nine? Captain, <laughs> you better hope she doesn't have a Grimoire at home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, just remember, I'm the one that has the yeah. list. I'm more afraid of your Magnum 44. Yeah, that's that's right. Okay, we'll go to number nine. Uh, I can see this isn't going to be the way I thought it was going to be. We'll go along with it, but Nancy. Then it never is. We'll okay, number nine, finding an amulet. <gasps> yeah, that's especially benign. in the sewers. <laughs> yeah, you never know because they're, they're very, they have natural energies and they're often observed, believe it or not, in Buddhist countries as wearable jewelries. 
believed to be possessed with spirits, incantations, and charms. Now, what do they consider an amulet? Well, an amulet is um, like a a piece of jewelry or something that um, that you can wear, I guess, on on your on your person. Does it like have to be like circular? And sometimes they have special, they have um, jewel, like diamonds or emeralds, generally. Mm -hmm. Is there a difference between an amulet and a talisman? Do we know? I don't know. I guess if if you want to believe that you're going to be able to have supernatural powers, you can call anything an amulet. <laughs> I would right. love I would love for like magic and sorcery to really exist. That'd be so freaking amazing. Dude, it would. The world would but be they, so much more fun and terrifying. <laughs> yes, yep, people actually uh. believe that if you have an amulet, they can save your life from bullets, knives, yep. and accidents. So Only if I'd it like hits to, the amulet. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know whether rabbit's foot would gold. be considered an amulet. I think that's I a talisman. I, a talisman, I think. I, well, right. I thought it was, my first thought was good luck charm. But, yeah. Good luck charm, yeah. yeah. Something something in, in that order. Okay. I feel sorry for the rabbit. <laughs> okay, so let's see how, how up we are on number eight. Inheriting the powers of asswangs. I'm sorry. Of who? What? Yeah. Shapeshifters. It's a it's a particular oh, type of shapeshifter, and it's regarded as the scariest and most powerful kind of shapeshifters. And villagers in remote areas believe that these creatures are just commoners during the daytime, but their curses and rituals can turn them into ruthless, bloodthirsty monsters at night. Oh, so, like, so that'd be a good one. Is that like 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 a werewolf? Who decided so they're, they're, on the name no, they're shape, they're shape, shape <laughs> Werewolves are always werewolves, but these can change. Yeah, but werewolves the, don't don't they like they're normal during. They're the, only werewolves. Once yeah, they they kind of shape shifting into a werewolf, aren't they? Well, if you go to classic, they werewolf? can go from human to werewolf. But if you're um, an aswang shape shifter, you can actually go from a bat to a dog. Oh to my a gosh, wolf, I want to be and one. then disappear and, and go back to your human form. That'd be yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. You're not restricted to just one form. I'd, I'd totally be an ass wang. Yeah. Now, how do you inherit <laughs> these abilities? It's just an ass wang. That just sounds like a bad word. Well, I know. So before, I say. Hey, I'm an ass wang. Okay. Oh, I, don't, I don't care what your kink is. <laughs> well, the, if, you, if you're serious about becoming one, you have to find an ass wang and then get him to pass its powers onto you before it dies. And it, but it, it believed that if you find an ass wang in agony, It'll never die until it's finally able to pass that source on. So it's immortal? So you've got to kind of find an S-Wang that's in the last stages of life and then inherit the supernatural powers. But you have to swallow. Here's the, the bad thing about it. Uh-oh. You have to swallow the bead coming out of its mouth before <laughs> it can finally die. At least it's out of the mouth? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. That would be an interesting So if movie. you've got insomnia, this is really good because you get to do this at night. But you've got to find an asswang and swallow the bead. So yeah. maybe that's why it's at number eight. It's not really so hard. You ha- so you have essentially an immoral person that's essentially evil. and. Yeah, but who says they're evil? How do you know they're evil? Well, I just thought it would explain a lot about my Auntie Bootsy. <laughs> I mean, it depends on how you would define the word bloodthirsty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, who knows? They might be bloodthirsty for like... Cockroaches. Blood pudding. Yeah. Haggis. Yeah. They just love haggis a lot. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> okay, so this one isn't too high on our. So none of us are. None of us are leaning if, toward. If assway. I came across a dying assway, you I have to. I, say I, I know. I That's just, the whole <laughs> trick of it. That is one sentence I never thought I'd hear Christina say. <laughs> if I came across a dying assway, whatever that. <laughs> but it would be nice because if one of us did, then we could pass the powers on. Yeah, but to then the you other. have to die to yeah. do that. No, the per- the, the ass. But but then you wonder about. whether or not it th- has sort of an immortal spirit to it because at that point it has supernatural. Can can the dying asswing's spirit attached to a okay. an amulet? <laughs> so if if we're if we're talking if we're if, if we're having this lovely discussion about asswings, you're gonna love number seven. We're all just gonna be dangling on a charm bracelet. Yeah. Number seven is practicing ritual cannibalism. Ew. That yeah. stopped everybody. Yeah. How Thanks. badly do you want supernatural? There um, are very few instances I would eat someone. Now the the thing is, and it that, wouldn't be ritual. You know, today it's kind of disgusting, but <clears throat> in in history, it's been widely practiced by ancient societies as yes. a way to interact with gods and other entities in the spirit world. So yeah. that you're consuming yeah. you know no. the you power. usually used to consume the, your enemies to acquire their power that was like a mm-hmm. warrior ritual for the longest time for a lot of cultures yeah so there are i mean these are they're in the, the pyramid texts and things mm-hmm. like that but you know it I mean, I don't know. It's not a really tasty way to no, no. Well, it depends. Know, to have dessert. Yeah, it's, it's tough meat, especially <laughs> tough, when you're consuming. Yeah, exactly. There was, I think, there was. A, don't quote me on this, but if I remember reading, uh, I think it was the Maori Warriors of uh, of the South Asian seas there, and uh, they used to have an insult saying that they that one of, one of the insult was, yeah, I've got a piece of your brother in between my teeth or something like that, because it was Ew. part of you know when they would vanquish a warrior, they would eat part of it to acquire the powers. That's gross. Yeah, so one of the insults, yeah, I got part of your family stuck in my teeth here somewhere. Well, some of the pyramid texts are, you know, really, um, uh, I was going to say disgusting. That really isn't the, the right word. But the, the the pyramid texts have things like the king orders sacrifices. He alone controls them. The king eats humans, feeds on gods. He has them presented on an altar to himself and then it gets worse from mm. there but it's really it's really interesting to you know to follow these uh, um, rituals and and the practices you know through history okay so we'll leave we'll leave cannibalism so, so, so behind if, so if we eat somebody like Christina can we say like she's like free range or something like that okay yeah, literally <laughs> if you tried to eat me you would get like two bites I have no meat on my bones <laughs> she doesn't so she's a snack like, okay you we'll would move. bite in and be like ow I'm being poked by a bone Moving on to number six, you'll like this one better. Becoming a Buddha. Oh, okay. That's not a bad thing. Buddhism is known as uh, Dhamma or Buddha Dharma, which means the teaching of the awakened one. And actually, um, although Buddhists are not desirous of supernatural powers, they claim that the acquisition of powers comes simultaneously once the state of full enlightenment is achieved. Yeah, I so can that's do that. a more positive way, I can do that. you know, to get to get uh, supernatural powers. So. That, that's pretty good because supposedly, you know, with enlightenment, your powers become limitless and great, which ah. is a great thing. Okay, number five, spiritual possession. Ooh. Because guess one. what? 
And they're recorded in history, in movies. Um, There are a lot of movies about people who have spiritual possession, and then they impose harm to their hosts. And wasn't it was alien? No, that wasn't a spirit that. Spirit no, possession. that was more like no. Yeah, but spirit possession certainly. Exorcist, right? The exorcist or something like that. It's yeah. exactly that, right? Being possessed. Yeah. That's what I hate about being yeah, an atheist. We never like get we never get possessed, you no. know? It kinda sucks. You know? Or but like, are we always possessed? It feels are like we, discrimination. Are, are we have we melded with our, our spirits possessing us? <laughs> Maybe. Are we just like a melding of spirit and human? And that's why we're atheist? Who knows? I don't know. Could be. Number four. Eating cursed foods. <laughs> yeah, that's a What's va- cursed like foods? vampires. McDonald's. <laughs> but that's I'll like pass. eating. That's like flesh eating vampires and blood and those kind of cursed foods. Not like, you know, snap, crackle, pop, <laughs> rice krispies. <laughs> cursed <laughs> rice krispies. <laughs> oh my gosh! Can you imagine cursed rice krispies squares? <laughs> but that's a new. <laughs> so that's not cursed food. So I guess you can. Eat. I had this Nanaimo bar. It cursed me. <laughs> cursed me. Yeah, exactly. Okay, number three. This is getting better. Yeah. Number three, using magical herbs, like <laughs> sorcerers specifically, those who practice witchcraft of root working, known as hoodoo, have particular peculiar knowledge about the mysterious and magical properties of plants. Does pot so they count? treat plants? It's as a plant. Plants. So they can use powerful potions that are made of plants oh. for love, sex, revenge, and wealth. It's really funny when like people nowadays actually, there are people who actually believe that that stuff actually works. Oh yeah, there are people who believe yeah. in all of this. It's crazy. Yeah, and it is nuts, but it's fun to talk about. Yeah, it is fun. Okay, number two, this is something that I, I haven't heard, but maybe, maybe you have practiced, and I'm gonna just murder the, the word, practicing, Qigong, Q-I-G-O-N-G, Qigong. It Uh, um, It has to do with chi, a universal energy. I thought it was a religion too, wasn't it? Um, It's an ancient Chinese, um, um, I don't know whether it's a... a, It's a step uh, above feng shui. (laughs) Yeah, well, qi means life force, and so... Uh, gong means cultivation, so the cultivation life of life. For it's the core of Chinese medicine, mm-hmm. Chinese martial arts, and Chinese meditation. So I don't know. Does that fall in a religious? Uh, I, yeah, yes and no. I mean, uh, if I you, think it can be part of religion. Yeah, but I don't think it's like the basis. Mm-hmm. Of a lot of martial art practitioners do believe that there's an internal energy that flows mm-hmm. within us that helps them strike harder. Or there is know, a a, um, a master. Zhu Z H O U, and actually there are some videos that he does on how to channel chi. So anybody who's interested yeah. in in this form, you, there, there's some videos and you can watch them. Yeah. So it's kind of a it's kind of a milder way of mm-hmm. getting supernatural the, abilities. There's a lot of videos out there of. I don't know how questionable this is, but you'll have like a, a martial art master standing on one uh-huh. side of the room and they'll light a candle on the other side and he'll just punch through the air and the candle will extinguish at the other end, mm. right? And which, of course, is like 20 feet apart. So this mm. this is what they say, but, you I know, the, yeah, so so do I. But, you know, a lot, like, of, a lot of believers do believe that you, they extend their mm-hmm. energy out of their body. I, I saw this one video of there was this martial arts person who did like one touch takedowns yeah but he would like just like touch you and like but when he was like training people he would kind of like teach them to like fall down yeah exactly but then then he fought someone 
who didn't believe him. Yeah. And he couldn't do it. Yeah, exactly. It was, exactly. I'm like, yeah, duh. It was so funny, though, because he's like, couldn't understand why this guy wasn't falling. <laughs> there's, a, there's a classic image of also James Randi, and I forget the, the, the guy's name, but the guy, his trick, he used to open like a, a phone book. And he used to just move his hand over the phone book and the pages would start turning, you yeah. know. And, and James Randi came in and basically put a whole bunch of these, you know, these uh, packing peanuts? You know, when mm-hmm. you're packing, they're very late, they're styrofoam, you put them okay. in front because he knew that the guy would actually simply blow with his breath and, oh. he's, mo- and he's moving his hand and that's how the page would turn. Yeah. Yeah. So he put these packing peanuts in front. So, okay, you do it again. And all of a sudden, the guy couldn't do it, right? Because yeah. <laughs> you got caught. You, you, you got caught. You got no powers. You got, you just we got, love Randy. Oh, Randy's We love Randy. Okay, number one way to acquire supernatural abilities. It seems so simple when you think of it. Genetic engineering. Oh. oh nice. Yeah, okay. Well, because there are people with genetic mutations that are basically superpowers. Well, yeah. it also depends what you... We're not going to talk about Deadpool. Okay, Deadpool's amazing. Also, the main what you what you define by superpower as well. Well, supposedly there was uh, in 1999 there was a boy who was born in Germany who was extremely strong and had an unbelievable mm-hmm. muscular body, and supposedly they were able to copy the mutated gene that caused it. But I don't know whether that's true or not. Mm-hmm. But genetic mutations, I mm-hmm. guess, would would be the basis yeah. of ge- of some of the genetic hello X Men. <laughs> Right. I'm surprised you didn't have like chemical accident in there. You know. Yeah. Somebody, somebody usually falls into Touch a vat some of something. Radiation. And, yeah, something like that. <laughs> don't yeah. actually do that though. No. I don't know. Die. Maybe that's maybe that's not a tried and true, as tried and, true, and or maybe it was number eleven. You know, and yeah. we just didn't get there. Yeah. Anyway, so there are ten ways. Anybody that wants supernatural abilities, if you try one of these, let us know. <laughs> do a video and and send it in to Kevin. Anytime. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Especially if you find a dying ass way. Yeah. Videotape it. Yeah. Oh and uh, need, need we remind you guys not to take your advice from a podcast and trying to acquire superhero powers. It doesn't really work. Yeah. But if you thank want you for the list, Nancy. Just yeah. go, like, smile at a homeless person. Superpower is making people happy. <clears throat> All right, my dear Kirsten, you ready for another brilliant moment? I sure am. Brought to you by religion. <laughs> Now, to start off, this one is actually not a, per se, religious one. <gasps> How could you? I know, I know. But when I saw it, I'm like, this is just ridiculous, and I need to share it. Okay. So it's one of those things that make you go, hmm? Should I change the music here? Maybe. Well, Maybe for this first one. You gotta do, like, the record scratch. <laughs> <laughs> just choose that noise. <laughs> okay. Things that make you go, hmm. Alrighty. Earlier this month, an 11-year-old Florida boy was arrested for disrupting the school function and resisting arrest without violence. All of that drama began, apparently, when he refused to stand up for the Pledge of Allegiance. Jesus Christ. Seriously? Seriously. This is why I'm like, this is ridiculous. Uh, He was arrested? There was a substitute teacher in his classroom at Lawton Child's Middle Academy that day, and when it came time to say the pledge, the boy didn't stand up. The substitute ordered him to stand. He refused, on the grounds that the flag is racist and the national anthem is offensive to black people. Oh, hold on a sec. Is that kid black? I don't know. I'm thinking the same thing, right? There's no wonder he got arrested, right? 
But he's advocating. It does, it does not say that at all. Yeah. Um, his comment lacks nuance, but whatever. The pledge is problematic for multiple reasons. The boy had good reasons to remain seated, but even if he didn't, it shouldn't matter. The substitute, however, couldn't grasp any of this. She reportedly told the boy, why, if it was so bad here, did he not go to another place to live? Like, um, because he's he's 11? 11? Jesus Christ, people, you're so stupid. Things escalated from there. How is this person a teacher? Polk County Public Schools spokesman Kyle Kennedy said the sixth grader was arrested after becoming disruptive and refusing to follow repeated instructions by school staff and law enforcement. The district has made it very clear that the boy did not have to stand for the pledge and the substitute teacher was wrong to say otherwise. She has since been blacklisted from teaching in the district. Good. But the argument that ensued from the substitute's ignorance means the boy still has an arrest on his record. It's unclear how the district will respond or if the boy will be forgiven. And officials aren't saying much because we're talking about a child. I would say. Wait a minute. How can how can 11 year old have something on his record where he's innocent and it had to do with the misunderstanding of the school? Well, you can have an arrest and not have have a conviction. Yeah. Just because you don't have a conviction, the record is you still have a record of an arrest. Well, I mean, if we, uh, I'll take the example here as Canadians. If you have uh, uh, on your record that you were arrested for pot position, even if you're not guilty, they will stop you from going into the United States, right? Even just because you have the arrest, even if you were not guilty at all, because the arrest they have the choice to say no, sorry, you don't, you don't, you're not coming in. But so, there was no cause to arrest. I mean, that's. I'm just wondering whether the ACLU. Oh yeah, needs they to definitely get with should do to get yeah. that off of his record. Because yeah. that's just ridiculous. Oh, yeah. But there are so many cases nowadays where school systems have policemen in the school, yeah. and they've they've handcuffed special ed kids, and they've uh, you yeah. know America, pinned kids against the wall. Their school system them, is dragged so them out flawed. of school. Uh, first of all, I got I gotta say. Um, I, I don't know about you, Nancy. Maybe you can answer this, but to me, as a Canadian, the Pledge of Allegiance is one of the Gross. creepiest things about the Americans. It's like, what the hell is this? Yeah. It's brainwashing from day one. It's, I, I, I don't understand. I cannot Im- even imagine my childhood in Canada standing with the hand over my heart saying mm-hmm. allegiance to the Queen or something like that. Yeah. That would have been, my oh, God, no. this is ridiculous. I think well, the closest it, thing we got to it was singing the anthem. Yeah, but even the thing then. was we were kids. So you get up and you say the pledge and it was part of your school day and nobody that I can ever remember ever questioned it. It well, that's, was like that's what part about of the it. routine. Nobody, I could know? understand patriotism, but that's like too far. Well, because you're looking at it, I, I guess, as an adult and you're framing it that way. But it was like multiplication tables and going to recess and doing the pledge. No one ever questioned. It was just kind of maybe part of your is, day. Maybe that's brainwashing because, you know, no one said this is, you know, Creepy. over, um, <laughs> you know, over patriotic mm-hmm. or, or what do you call that if, it's, if something's really over the top patriotic? Um, there's uh, a word that I, don't I, don't know. Know. I can't remember. But uh, Canadians jingo, have never jingoism? experienced it. Is that being a jingoist? Oh, I don't know. That's a good, that's a good question. Yeah. Uh, I have to, I'll look at, at any rate... I, I, I just yeah. find it, you know, I think that also could be the reason why Americans today, that even if you tell them, you know, they'll go, America's number one, America's number one, they say, no, I'm sorry, it's not. It's demonstrably false. And here are the facts, here are the stats. They still won't listen to you, right? It's like, no, they just, they, they're so... 
it's, it's just like what we deal with religion with Christians, right? No matter how much of the evidence you put in front of their eyes, but it's on a political mm-hmm. spectrum instead of a religious one, uh, they just cannot accept that because all their childhood have been raised to America yeah. the Great, the, America the Great. The last two years have changed that for a lot of Americans. Well, maybe so. <laughs> maybe so. But, you know, if you look at the, the, the base of Trump supporters, these are these people. Oh, yeah. 100%. These people that no matter what you do, I mean, America could be dropping a bomb uh, on Canada and they'll say, right away so well you know Canada probably deserved mm-hmm. it you know it's like you have no critical faculty at that point it's like this I don't know well the only, I think it's a problem the only time the pledge ever came into um, being thought about was when Congress added under God yeah before that and when it was the pledge of allegiance it was kind of innocuous you know you're you're paying playing allegiance to the fact that we're all united and it's united, blah, blah, blah. But then the under God part started a lot of positive and negative yeah. conversations. And suddenly we were aware of the fact that, oh, you know, this is this is what it's all as about. As a daily thing. I, I still think mm-hmm. it's creepy as hell. I don't know. I don't yeah. know what the, the audience thinks. Let us know. Valley at Outlook.com. I want to hear from Americans about this, how they feel about this. Yeah, yeah no kidding. Because I'm pretty sure all the, all the uh, our international listeners will say, yeah, I agree with you. It is kind of creepy. But I don't know how Americans feel about this. So. I, th- as I, say, I think mostly... You know, if if they have, if anyone has a, a dispute, they either don't, they, they stand there very quietly and they don't say the words, but they just kind of go along because yeah. that's part of, that's part of the program. If you or do that, they don't have to stand so they can sit or sit. you shouldn't be arrested for it. Yeah. yeah. If, if you do that, though, that's, the, the problem is, yeah, you can, they'll give you the option. Yeah, you can sit and not have to deal with it. But then you just put a target on your back. Yeah. yeah. You know, everybody else is just going to just so come mostly, at you. you know, if anybody has a dupe, they just stand. Yeah. And that's it. I, I, I've, I've always imagined a situation of me, let's say you're an exchange student and going into the United States, would I stand for the, the Pledge of Allegiance? Probably not. I wouldn't. You know, no. because I'm not an American, but then... But then how do you feel about O Canada, that they play at every... But, you know, but you, you don't do it daily at school as a kid. Oh, okay. And even if you did, O, Canada's our, o Canada is our national anthem. Okay. It's it's different than. Like, I mean, if they did the Pledge of Allegiance, I don't know, once a month or so, well, maybe there'd be an argument for it mm-hmm. to remind them of their patriotic roots and stuff like that. But daily, I think that's it's the closest thing to brainwashing I can think of. Yeah. I mean, these kids have no idea what they're talking about half the time. Yeah. They just know that they have to do this, and mm-hmm. eventually, just it's just drilled. Yeah, it's, it's, it's part of yeah. it's part of the program. Anyway, we could God, we could do an entire show just on that. <laughs> you have another, you have something else for us? Now into our regularly scheduled programming. Hey, <laughs> crazy Christians! Oh yeah, Blake Healy, writing for Charisma, says his burnt eggs summoned a demon. Whoa! <clears throat> I want to see that demon. Well, hold on, were they scrambled? Are we getting into cursed foods now? (laughs) That's how you get superpowers. You should have just eaten them. Cursed food and a spirit summoning. (laughs) Now imagine just a man getting ready for, you know, the daily, the daily things. As the eggs cooked, I ran around the house grabbing things I would need for the rest of the day. As the egg cooks, I ran around the house. Yes, I know. It takes three seconds to cook an egg. I know. I thought that too. My daughter November started to cry, (laughs) so I picked her up and carried her around with me as I packed my computer bag, notebook, and coffee tumbler. (laughs) Then I started to smell burning eggs. My frustration began to mount as the rest of my to-do list resounded like a chorus in my head. Then I began getting frustrated that I was getting frustrated. Shit. Burned eggs and a delayed breakfast are hardly the worst of the world's problems. 
What right did I have to be moody? <laughs> it was then I saw a demon come around the corner. It was my wife. <laughs> there wasn't much to do. Or wasn't much to it. She had that face cream on her the face. The demon was a little under three feet tall with grayish skin and a pot belly. It shuffled forward, its pace and posture, that of a toddler who had smelled something tasty. Does he have a It's a neighbor's dog. I could have commanded it to leave. In the name of Jesus, be gone. I banish thee from my household. Or something like that. Curse you, Betty Crocker. But that would not really solve the problem. The problem was in my head. The problem was that I had let my circumstances, as trivial as they were, determine my level of internal peace. Uh, So he thinks that there's this demon because he's... I found myself humming again, the same worship song I was humming before. I gave my head a little shake to clear it, smiled at my daughter, and went back to the refrigerator to get more eggs. The demon turned around and skittered away after that. I hummed the song all the louder. See? Yep, that's my reaction to Tiny Intruder under Satan's command. Hum some music, smile at my child, grab some eggs, assume the potbelly demon will just wander away on its own. I think this person mm. needs psychiatric so burnt help. eggs summon demons? Yes. No, no, no. Well, yes and no. See, the I demon, think it was the demon the frustration. basically. The demon came in and said, hey, something's burning. He came in to turn the stove off. Yeah. <laughs> what, he came in to have breakfast. He said, yeah, come yeah, on. No, what the hell's going to be, on here? To be fair, this guy also claims he saw a literal angel hovering over his baby. Crib. The angel was wearing a robe patterned with silver stars, which then fell off its edges, pouring down over the face of the smiling infant in the crib. Oh, so this dude definitely has schizophrenia or at least hallucinations. At the very least. On a regular basis. Or a very vivid imagination, mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't buy any more. I, I wouldn't buy eggs anymore. At the Wherever he's getting them, he should stop getting them there. Stop. Or yeah. just talk to stop. a counselor. This dude should go for some non-Christian counseling. He should go for a McMuffin first. Yeah. The, the issue with counseling in this instance, if you went to a Christian counselor, they'd tell him that, yes, you saw a demon. That's a thing, right? That's exactly yeah. it. It would reinforce that. So you've seen that, a demon. That, that's why Christian counseling can be so insidious. It's a pot belly, you'd great demon, too. Yeah. Three feet pot belly. Crazy. <laughs> Just under three feet. Oh, my God. That was a good one. Then they wonder why we laugh at religion. Jeez, I wonder why. (laughs) Yeah. Because, you know, what about his toast? Did he manage to save the toast? I don't think he probably didn't make toast. This is what happens. If you do a Grand Slam breakfast, (laughs) you have a better chance of demon. If you just cook eggs, you know. But if you had bacon and sausage and refried beans. She ought to stick with oatmeal at this point. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just have cereal. You think they had, like, vegan demons? Probably. Vegan demons. Hmm. Definitely. I guess you could. Yeah. I 100%. So if you if you have a like porridge or something like that, it's a vegan demon that appears? Yeah. Unless Those would be the herbalists, I guess, that would do <laughs> Yeah. Uh, did, did he say if in his uh, omelet he was making that he was adding magic mushrooms? <laughs> no. Because that would explain a lot. Well, he didn't actually eat it. He burnt so. it. Yeah, he burnt it. Yeah. But yeah, I know. The first of all, why would you wander around the house while you're making eggs? psychiatric... On stability, instability. Yeah, because I don't know how fast it takes him to cook eggs, but it, <laughs> you turn around when the thing's on the, the stove there for like yeah. two seconds and it already smell the burn. And like, yeah, no, just go back to toast and maybe the Virgin Mary will appear on the toast, stick, which is a lot easier. Stick with cereal. Yeah. yeah. But then you'll, see, good. then you'll see Snap Crackle pop and they'll think it's haunted again. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, God. 
<laughs> All right. Thank you, Christopher. for that. I think this is the only show that we've had where out of, between the top ten and, and Kirsten's, it comes with the don't try this at all. <laughs> yeah, Warning. pretty much. Well, you know what? Demons are part of a good nutritional breakfast. That's right. <laughs> Alright guys Thank you so much And uh, we'll take a pause And when we come right back We'll have the legendary Matt Dillahunty I'm so excited So stay with us In a world Torn apart by a lack of reason And I think it should be religion treated with ridicule and hatred and contempt. And I claim that right. In the morning. Hi, everybody. This is Robert Stanley from the Right to Reason podcast. And if you subscribe now, you'll get free. Learn more about the broadcast at therighttoreason.com. Listen to the Zagrilich Cast podcast, YouTube video, interview program that features me talking to some of the best and brightest in the atheist slash secular slash awesome community. I interview people. We curse and usually drink beer because why not? It's the Zagrilich Cast, Z A C H R I L E G E, and I can spell it after two beers so you can too. For years, this old man had taught us and he had believed. He believed that the Golgi apparatus was an artifact. He thought it didn't exist. And then one day, an American cell biologist came and gave a public lecture in our department in which he demonstrated beyond all possible doubt that the Golgi apparatus was real. Our old man strode to the front of the lecture hall, shook him by the hand and said, My dear fellow, I wish to thank you. I have been wrong these 15 years. And all of us applauded till our hands were red. And none of us will ever have forgotten that incident. That is science at its best. That's the very opposite of faith. is none other than Mr. Fabulous, Matt Dillahunty himself. He's a snappy dresser and a snazzy dancer. Matt, thank you so much for joining us at Left of the Valley. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been like... Fabulous. That feels like my wrestling nickname or something. <laughs> Mr. Fabulous. Ding, ding, ding. Okay. Uh, Ken Anderson's a friend of mine, and he was like he was world champion in TNA wrestling, and now he... Uh, teachers wrestling and stuff. So I'm gonna I'm gonna see if he'll he'll let me go with Mr. Fabulous when I come. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a whole new career to me. Yes, <laughs> Matt, you're obviously incredibly well known in the atheist community, but we have listeners uh, on the international, all over the place. Uh, for people that might not know you, would you be so kind to give us a quick bio as to who Matt Dillahunty is? Yeah, sure. Matt Dillahunty's completely unimportant, uh, <laughs> despite what they said. No, I'm. Uh, I was raised as Southern Baptist. Was act, you know, walked down the aisle at the age of five at a revival, and uh, people from my church thought I was going to be a preacher, and I was terrified of that. I ended up in the Navy, and then 
eventually I found my way out of religion over like an 18-month period and got involved with the atheist community of Austin. I've been hosting the Atheist Experience TV show for 15 years next month, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, lots of lectures and debates and magic shows and all that. But it, I, when I say that, it's it's I'm kind of unimportant. That's... That's legit in the sense that I have to keep reminding people. You know, people will, will say, oh, you know, I love your show. And then I have to remind them, well, it's not my show. It's, you know, the ACA show. Hell, I'm on it less than I used to be. And, uh, oh, you're just awesome. Well, I appreciate that. But really, it's it's the conversations and the ideas that matter and not really the person behind them so much. But, uh, yeah, that's it. I've been hosting the show. It's a live call-in show. I have tons and tons of arguments and debates some of them end better than others <laughs> and i it's weird because when i first started doing it i was also the president of the aca and the librarian and you know five or six other jobs and some people who had been involved were like oh well don't burn yourself out well eric and i were talking last night eric murphy who's who does talk heathen another one of aca shows mm-hmm. um about you know people in the community who are active and then you know they get burnt out or somebody tries to curate a podcast and then it dies out and I was like, you know, I've been hosting this show for 15 years. And two weeks ago when Phil Ferguson got iced in in Chicago and could not make it down to the show, he texted me to say he wasn't going to make it. And I immediately texted Mark and said, I want to be on the show. Aww. Now, 15, 15 years later, in the second there's an opening for me on the show and I'm like, you know, knocking people over to get back on. Uh, yeah, I don't understand burnout at all. You either you <laughs> love something or you don't. Obviously something you're very passionate about. Yeah, I mean, it, I have tons of hobbies. I'm I'm obsessed with like learning stuff. So I'm I became an expert at crochet to the point where my mom and grandmother, who taught me, would come to me for oh my gosh uh, to teach teach them you know patterns, especially once they shifted to. There's two different ways to to write crochet patterns and the the graphic one they didn't quite understand but and then I did chainmail jewelry and origami and played semi-pro pool and was a semi-professional gamer and just all this stuff because I have to learn stuff Mm -hmm. but the two things that have been with me uh full stop I've been doing magic since I was three so now I'm touring with a magic and skepticism show that is a a lecture full of legitimately good magic like I don't suck um, <laughs> that teaches people the principles of skepticism and then there's the TV show and debates and I will probably do all of that until I kick the bucket wow and now today you will learn another valuable lesson and be careful which podcast you appear as a guest on <laughs> hey, especially with the crazy kitty one we're wonderful <laughs> Matt I got I, right off the bat I gotta be super honest with you uh, I'm usually a very easy going kind of guy and you know people know me it's like yeah Kevin's like the easiest guy to get along with you are one of very few people that actually makes me nervous when I talk to you you actually uh, you actually somewhat intimidate me sir and that's a compliment you'll he get over it <laughs> <laughs> no it's true Oh, we had that douche on the show again. No longer. <laughs> no, I would never, never, ever. Uh, Matt, you know, I got, I got to ask you. You've been on the on the forefront of atheism for quite a while now. Um, part of me, I like to think of uh, you as actually part of like a, a second generation of new atheists. If you take like Hitchens and Sam Harris and Dawkins as like the first generation of new atheists, quote unquote. I like to think of you as the... The, the next generation after that. But in the 15 years that you've been hosting the show, especially on the, the Atheist Experience, how much of a difference has there been in the movement itself, if we could say that? 
Well, like anything else, there's there's going to be changes. You, you watch uh, for a while. It seemed like there was a convention every other week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they were packed. And some of that has waned, mainly because, not because I think there's any less enthusiasm. And we know that there are more, you know, non-believers and nuns than ever. I mean, it's it's continuing to increase. I think that the, the convention attendance dropped off a little bit because a lot of people were just like, well, we've done that and we've done it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's happening is there's slight changes to the way people do conventions. Um, and we're coming up with other activities. I like the fact that instead of just, it was once upon a time, pretty much lecture, 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 lecture. Mm-hmm. And Miriam Namazi, um, well, she and I were talking at an event and, uh, Margaret Downey was there and Margaret was saying that what the community really needs is more stories. So if you're at a convention rather than getting, hi, I'm a PhD in cognitive neuroscience and here, let me explain to you how minds change. It's yes, I was a fundamentalist for 20 years and here's how, how I found my way out and here's the problems that I have with my family so that people realize that their story is not at all unique. They're not alone. Uh, there's plenty of people in the community that are just like them. And what I'm seeing now, um, so the atheist community of Austin had, still has the atheist experience. Uh, we have the nonprofits. And for a while we had godless bitches. And then Beth stopped doing that and they kind of put it on pause. Well, now the atheist community of Austin has nine programs. That's awesome. Uh, they brought godless bitches back. They've got nonprofits, atheist experience talk heathen, parenting beyond belief, secular sexuality, uh, truth wanted, Mr. Atheist. I, I'm not going to get them all off the top of my head. And, you know, not all the shows are going to last forever. They're not all going to stay in the same format. But the the thing that they're doing is addressing the whole person. It's not just call in and argue. And it's not just, hey, here's a lecture. Mm-hmm. It is hitting everything, parenting, sex, you know, whatever you can think of that's part of the whole person. And they're almost to the point where, you know, they've got enough content to, to have a proper, proper secular network, which is is something that I I know they're looking forward to. But I see that at, in interactions and conventions as well. Like next month, um, I'm doing a free thought cruise put together by the, uh, free thought community of Florida and we're leaving out of like Jacksonville, going to Cuba and the Bahamas, and then I'm doing the Magic and Skepticism show on there. So it's not going to be a lecture-filled convention. It's a four-day cruise where you're with a whole bunch of other secular people, and you get something that's maybe educational a bit, maybe a bit fun, maybe a, you know entertaining. Um, it's getting more towards a normalcy, I'd say. Mm-hmm. There's only so much time as you can say to people, oh, God doesn't exist, right? I mean, uh, this is what it's interesting about the atheist experience because it's a show that essentially you've done the same debates with and they call in people like a thousand times, yet people are still calling in to hash the same old points you did like 10 years ago. Uh, is, there, is there any frustration on your part sometimes about some of these callers say, hey, we've visited this subject, you know, or... or you wish sometimes the atheist experience would move into another direction, or are you you happy with where it is now? Oh, I'm I'm still thrilled with it. I mean, there was a period of time where we were getting a call with some version of Pascal's wager every week, mm-hmm. and 
I basically told the call screener for a period of time, we're, we're declaring moratorium on Pascal's wager. So if anything sounds close to that, just tell them to call back some other year. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing to remember, and, and this is one of the reasons why I don't get burnt out. Um, I've done this for a while, but I try to remember that it's somebody's first show and it's somebody's first introduction to atheism. Mm-hmm. And I listen to the feedback uh, and there are people, I mean, just this week, there are people who think, oh, Matt's an ass and he accused somebody of being dishonest and hung up on him. And that's no way to actually change minds. And the thing to remember is that there's an, a number of different goals here. Like, I understand it's very unlikely that I'm going to change the mind of the person that I'm actually on the phone with. So they're not as much my target as the people who are listening who share those views. That's because they're, they have the protection of not being under fire at that moment. Mm-hmm. And, and so I know, plus I play a number of games while I'm on the show. One of them is to see how quickly I can figure out exactly where the call is going, yeah. what they're going to say. And then the other is to find different ways to address the same thing. Because if I just said the same thing every week, that would be awful. Mm-hmm. And Anybody who watches one show would never need to watch another. Mm-hmm. But if I try and address things from a couple different directions, uh, it keeps it entertaining for me. And I don't know. I, it's, I don't get frustrated because I know the data show that we are, the nuns are winning, essentially, that yeah. we're you know, growing. I get plenty of feedback from people. And somebody will say, oh, you've got the patience of a saint. And somebody will say, you're an impatient jerk. And as long as I'm getting those in roughly equal proportions, I think I'm okay. But I do take, like there was a guy that emailed this week and we had, we argued back and forth for two or three days. Um, And at the end he was like, well, clearly you're Mr. Logically Perfect Know-It-All and uh, you just don't want people to call your show and you're not interested in feedback. And I was like, I have 30,000 unread emails. (laughs) Holy crap. I have spent three days now exchanging a series of like 10, 7, 8, 9, 10 emails with this person. If I didn't care about feedback, I wouldn't have bothered to reply to them at all. Yeah. And and it's one thing that that's frustrating, not just this isn't about the show, this is just across the board. And that's the fact that when two people disagree, there's a tendency to just throw up your hands and do this. Well, you're just terrible or you're just not interested in the con, you know, the conversation or anything else. And sometimes that's true, but sometimes it's not. And you would think that two people that are supposedly speaking the same language wouldn't have such difficulty communicating, Mm -hmm. but they do. And we do, all of us. Mm -hmm. Um, So as someone who's watched The Eighth Experience for years, um, you're definitely one of my favorite people to watch interview. And one of the things that I think for myself really makes me connect with you is you're very confident and you're very no-nonsense with a lot of the callers. And I'm, I'm curious if that's something that you gained after leaving religion, or is that something that you had while you were still in Christianity? Maybe he's born with it. Maybe it's Maybelline. <laughs> yeah, Maybe. it's definitely Maybelline. That's uh, <laughs> So one of the things, one of the reasons I didn't become a preacher when I was 18 uh, was because I was terrified of public speaking. And after I got found my way out and I was writing things online for a couple of years before I got involved with the TV show, um, the very first kind of public 
talk I gave for the ACA or the, the first time I went out and gave a press conference, um, I was still pretty nervous. And it turns out that the secret to public speaking is to not try to BS anybody. So if you're willing to say you don't know when you don't know mm-hmm. and you just tell people what you think and you're not concerned about, ooh, how do I need to phrase this so that they will love me uh, or not hate me or whatever else, if you're just, you know, hey, you can be honest. Uh, and then once I kind of found my way out of there, it. I remember a couple of times when I would, somebody would call in or in private and, you know, at home, somebody would call me like my uncle called once to to kind of out me and and he was supposedly this spiritually wise, you know, medical doctor, missionary, blah, blah, blah. And he came in with Pascal's wager. And I was oh like, gosh. holy crap, <laughs> is this really the best you've got? And then the more I interacted with, you know, let's say some higher end apologists, the less impressed I became. Mm-hmm. And it just got to a point where... I'm I'm waiting to hear something that I haven't heard or to have some evidence presented that, you know, is actually good. Uh, but I can't remember the last time I heard something that was truly new or novel that wasn't just, like, awful. Yeah. Like, oh, I've got this new idea for what God might be, and mm-hmm. it's all this speculative, let me try to make sense of everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is exactly when, when we did that. We had uh, Chris, the Christian Christensen, on our show, and I asked him, I said, don't you feel bad that, you know, the closest thing you have to something new is something from St. Augustine. I mean, <laughs> you guys don't yeah. have anything good, you know, on, on your side at all. But it goes back into my, my question. Matt, I guess you've done a number of debates on stage aside what you do on the show there. What would you call, you consider your best and worst uh, debates or your best and worst rebuttal or which one stands out in your mind? Oh, uh, see, that's, so this, my apologies. I get questions like this from time to time. You know, what was your favorite call on the show? What was your favorite episode of the show? What was your favorite debate? Where do you think you did the best? Uh, I don't tend to look at what I do and then say, "Oh, that was where I was at my best." I let other people decide uh, what they where they think I was at my best. I can tell you that uh, one of the worst debates I ever did was uh, I debated Cliff Connectly a couple times at in San Marcos. He's a campus kind of street preacher, really nice guy. Um, the very first time that we did a debate, I'd been in bed sick for four or five days. And so when I got there, I just kind of sat down and read my statement uh, for the debate. Mm. And it was, you know, we, we did it. We debated another time after that. Uh, and uh, I think that was... Uh, one much more one-sided my direction the second debate mm-hmm. um even the debates that other people would hate and that i should probably not like like the debate with sai i'm never going to debate sai again but uh, that's because he's genuinely like a terrible person yeah and because he will never have anything new. He is so locked into his particular script of presuppositionalist apologetics that there's no need for me to ever do that again, uh, at least not with him. Mm-hmm. But despite that, I think there were things about that debate that were great because they were valuable. There was an opportunity to, to expose um, a problem with a particular line of argument and I did it. So if, if, if I think I'm, I'm mostly just doing it to, you know, 
try to learn and try to get better. And if I'm happy with it at the end, that's good enough. And I don't worry about, oh, this was the best call ever, or this was the best debate ever. Um, I, I can tell you that I've debated Blake Junta like five times now, and we're legitimately friends. I've had him over to the house. We've shot interviews, and and I think I've kind of narrowed in on the the flaws in his epistemology. But uh, I would s still do more debates with him. And I I don't know. What do you think was my bet? Um, you don't have to tell me. For for myself, I so my twin sister is obsessed with Jordan B. Peterson. So to <laughs> yeah. watch your debate with him made me so happy. <laughs> Just to yeah. like see you show, make him say things that showed people how ridiculous he is. But that's, that's the thing. It's like, man, I'll, I'll, okay, I'm a bit biased on this too, I guess, but man <laughs> really did skewer this guy, I think, in the debate. But at the same time, it didn't seem to actually affect his popularity. Oh, one, not one um... Bit. I think for myself, I, I have other friends who liked him on like a, like not like super in depth, but like on a rudimentary scale and being able to point them, okay, you should go watch this really helped Okay, because well, if yeah. they just saw like his, his lecture or like his, like the videos, oh, Jordan Peterson destroys this person yeah, to be able that. to point him to a debate where he's actually intellectually um, took to task was very helpful. They're so dishonest. I will say Jordan Peterson, there's a video of him crossing the street and they'll say, Jordan Peterson destroys jaywalking. Yeah, right? totally. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, actually my favorite, so I, I really enjoyed doing that and it was great to meet him and I'm not going to, you know, trash him. It's, yeah, it, you know. Some of his fans are far more problematic than he is. Yes. Which, yes. Uh, it was... It was a fun conversation, and I was very happy with it when, over, when it when it was over. And he had, you know, right there on stage agreed that we could do this again. But uh, evidently, that changed a little <laughs> bit. To where, you wanna, you uh, for whatever reason, I'm no longer worthy, um, and that's <laughs> fine because uh, I don't I don't need I don't know that I need to go down that road again. Yeah. I I would. You guys, but uh, if you guys want to hear something scary. Uh, Jordan Peterson now has the ear of the Premier of Ontario. Oh, really? The Ontario government actually went and consulted with Jordan P. Uh, kill B. Peterson. Me now. Just yeah. kill me. I've been the same way. I've been the same way. Trump will consult with Sean, Sean Hannity. Yeah, exactly. <gasps> yeah. So that's that's yeah, scary, scary times. Uh, anyway, moving on. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's happening to our world. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Uh, well, we for us as Canadians, man, we always see you know what goes on in America, and we think you know. Hopefully, this is not going to happen here. And unfortunately, it's starting to happen here as well. Uh, a lot of conservative politicians are adopting the same kind of tactics and all that. And it's like, ah, yeah. it's terrifying. But, me but right we're now. also a lot farther on the left in a lot of places. Yeah, I, well, I agree. <laughs> but, you know, it's the, the thing is, like I've always said, I've said this on the show many, many times, the, uh, the right always comes out to vote. The yes. left, you know, is marred by apathy half the time. So Yeah, yeah there's a good chunk of people on the left who are, have become convinced that, oh, well... Uh, my vote doesn't matter, yes. mm -hmm. what, you know, and I was like, I can't think of too many things that would potentially matter more. Yep, exactly, totally. exactly. Uh, anyway, let's not get into politics because we'd be, <laughs> <laughs> we'd yeah. be here for three hours. <laughs> Matt, Matt, 
let's let's face it. Let's be honest here, okay? Um, when people look at Matt Delahunty, they see you as a leader of the community. Although I'll be the first one to say, oh, no, there's no such thing as leaders in the atheist community. If I go on stage and say something, nobody's going to listen. If so, if Matt Delahunty climbs on stage, everybody gets quiet all of a sudden. Is there any pressure on your shoulders? Do you feel pressure to act a certain way to put a certain image out there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I was president of the atheist community of Austin for seven or eight years mm-hmm. and have been the public face on the show. And one of the things is, you know, I have always recognized that that means I don't want the anybody in the community to ever pick up the newspaper and see, you know, atheist Matt Dillahunty uh, uh, arrested for or involved in, you know, whatever that's going to mm-hmm. tarnish this. Uh, not that I have... Not that that's likely or that I have the the desire to do the sort of things that are going to be problematic, but... I don't um, know, Matt. I, Matt Delonte found naked in bathtub and in, in jacuzzi with a whole bunch of people. <laughs> well, that, that I have no problem with. So any, any of the things that are like, you know, if somebody wants to... Uh, like, it, there was two weeks ago, I think it was, there was a guy that called in and wanted to know what the rational justification for homosexuality was. Oh, I remember that. And I just lit into him. Oh. And, you know, if somebody thinks, oh, Matt's terrible because he's okay with homosexuality or he's okay with nudity or that when I went and did the rant that defended sex workers because some of my friends are sex workers. Mm-hmm. And if, if they want to try and shame me for having those positions, that's fine. We can do that all day long. You put a New York Times article up, Matt Dillahunty approves of sex work because I, I do. That's all honest. It's the people who are trying to do this. You know, I, I didn't want to actually do anything, you know, that was that was going to be disreputable, disreputable for the ACA or the community at large. I'm a little less concerned about that now, not because it's a bad idea, but because I, I don't do the sort of things or have, you know, there's not a great risk of that. Mm-hmm. But also... I don't have that many secrets, and I am fine with people finding about finding out about my life because if, in fact, I was wrong about something, if I was doing something that was truly a negative influence for the community, I'd rather somebody tell me so that I could fix it uh, rather than, you know. Mm-hmm. Which is which is great news, too, that you approve of sex work because I was thinking of a career change. Uh-huh. And, uh, oh, you would, you would make bucks in that. I'd, I'd make at least pennies. Exactly. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Matt, I got to ask you, you, uh, you're you well known for having a, a great penchant for philosophy. What is it about philosophy that attracts you to that? Because I think a lot of people, you know, they, they hear philosophy and their eyes glaze over automatically. But you just dive in with both hands. So yeah, I, I really don't know. It's kind of... It, it wasn't always a massive interest. The short version is that when I started figuring out that I couldn't... I, I did not accept the Bible and could not be a Christian. Uh, I wanted to figure out, okay, well, you know, maybe some other God or some other view about God is correct. And it's impossible to have enough time to explore all religions and all notions about God. So I set out to figure out what kind of God might possibly exist. Because if you dig in on the philosophy and you get an understanding of that grounding, it can direct your search. So you can say, well, okay, all these, you know, these gods that exist outside of space and time and are personal or whatever, maybe they're not real, but 
there is something you maybe there maybe there's a good reason to think there's a first cause or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I read, and I'm not remotely an ex. I'm not an expert on probably anything other than what I think, and maybe not even that. Um, but when it comes to philosophy, it was really. I wanted to understand, I was already a skeptic, but I hadn't applied it to religion. And I already had a decent understanding of of some sound epistemology and some flawed epistemology. Basically, how do you know what you know mm-hmm. and what's reasonable to know? Um, and I kept seeing arguments that would irritate me and things that would confuse people. They're, they're things that people were still confused by. As a matter of fact, on my Patreon project, one of the four videos a month that I'm I'm doing is kind of like a logic 101 type thing where I have to point out that if a lot if a logic if a syllogism is fallacious that does not mean the conclusion is false it just means that you cannot affirm that it's true mm-hmm. that's something that confuses people they're like oh your argument is unsound therefore you're wrong no you could they could still be right just that isn't the reason they're right mm-hmm. you know you need some sound reason to be right and I, I I can't explain it other than it's just it became an interest. There were things that I understood that were confusing, and I figured I'd share them. Well, we appreciate it because I am Thanks. bad at philosophy, so <laughs> I'm really bad at it. I'm much more into the psychology and neuroscience. So yes, taking it more into the the I'm trying to think of the right word, kind of like not like 100% reality like the more thinking aspect mm-hmm. yeah isn't always my cup of tea <laughs> fair enough I, uh, so there's a, uh, an acquaintance of mine uh, named David McRaney who does a podcast called You Are Not So Smart and uh, another friend of mine uh, Brian Brushwood who's a magician and he's had a few TV shows on like Nat Geo and stuff he went on David's podcast and and they talked and David was working on a book about how people change minds and so David came down and talked to me about it and oh this is going to sound like bragging oh well I don't care (laughs) Uh, so David had been introducing all of these psychologists and experts in how minds change and what methods best change minds Mm -hmm. and then he came down after he talked to a handful of them and we sat down in my back room for a couple hours and all I was doing was talking about what I had learned from the years of doing the show about which things seem to be more convincing, which things aren't, uh, where the sticking parts are that make it very difficult for people to change their mind. And he gave me probably one of the best compliments I'd ever received when we were done. And he stopped recording and he looked at me and he's like, you know, I just interviewed like five PhD psychologists on this. And they've been doing research and, you know, all this other stuff. And you came to all the same conclusions over, you know, from your experience over the years on the show. And yet you explained it in a way that people can understand better better (laughs) than the psychologists could. And I was like, yeah, that's because I'm not overly educated. I had to dumb it down for me to understand it. That makes it easy for me to dumb it down for everybody else. Well, at least, at least it shows at least that their research matches your experience. And that's another big plus too, right? Yeah, it was great. Yeah, exactly. and it's one of those things where the people always write in. It, this happened, you know, every week, and this week's no exception. Where they're like, "Oh, I think you would be much more effective if you did this." Yeah. And 
I always ask him, okay, why do you think that? Do you do you have some data? Is there mm -hmm. some research that shows this? Because, you know, I've got 15 years of feedback on this, and I'm not saying that I'm the world's expert on anything, but if if you think that I'm doing something in a way that is less effective than it could be, all you got to do is make a case. And but in 15 years, I'm pretty sure I've tried every tactic, you know, at least every tactic I could think of. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there were some some calls last 30 seconds, some calls last 45 minutes. Uh, some of them I get heated, some of them I don't. Uh, some of them I've hung up on people and called them names, and some of them I haven't. Uh, I think it. There's room for everything. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, Matt. Um, in in finishing, there are a couple more questions before we let you go. Um, sure. What would you What would your advice be for uh, skeptics out there that don't? Well, I guess they want to engage in everyday conversation. What What advice would Matt Dehanty give them as when they approach some of the believers and the people that spew outside nonsense? For me, the most important things are, are to kind of know what your goal is and to make sure that it's what, what I would consider to be a worthy goal. If your goal is just to say, uh, let me show you how stupid you are and how smart I are, I think you're screwing up. Mm -hmm. If you genuinely care about the conversation, if you're willing to you know acknowledge when you don't know something, if the goal is to figure out truly why somebody believes and whether or not it's a good reason for them or for anybody else, um, it doesn't matter. I mean, the, it, it, things are going to get heated. These are issues that go to the core of people's identities. And if you're attacking ideas and not people or making sure that you maintain the high ground, you know, longer than you're the person you're having a conversation with, mm -hmm. um, that's, that's probably the big thing. It's my goal. I, I would like to see a world without fallacious, superstitious, religious beliefs. It would be nice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ultimately, if any of those beliefs are true, I definitely want to know. If there's a if there's a God and he's a complete jackass, I still want to know because that's important. If there's an afterlife, I would still want to know that too. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just, you know, a lot of people get to the point, and some of them get to it very quickly, where oh, well, there's no new arguments, there's nothing new, you know, this is all a waste of time, you're not going to change anybody's mind. If that's what you think, then you probably shouldn't be having the conversations because I can tell you, um, people do change their mind. I changed my mind, I've helped other people change their mind. And by the way, they get all the credit for that because there's probably a thousand other people that heard me say the same thing they did and those other people didn't change their mind. So own it, that you were willing to listen and consider the evidence and understand when an argument is fallacious and what that means, and then change your mind when it was warranted. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Matt, uh, one last thing there. Uh, in view of the current political climate in the United States, how optimistic are you about the future of atheism? Well, I, I, I'm convinced that reason is likely to win out I hope uh, in almost all areas I mean we, we've got the data that shows that show that the nuns are you know a, a significantly quickly increasing group um, the political climate I think may have stalled uh, some of what 
some of the trend we were looking for. I don't know. I haven't seen any any kind of new updated data. I think my mm. my key thing that I think about in these terms is there are people who are complaining about things that are they are legitimately worth complaining about, but they are not the massive problem that some people want to portray them as. Mm. And you know, when I read like Steven Pinker's books and I'm reminded that we're living in the best of all possible times, mm-hmm. it strikes me that perhaps there are not as many dire issues that are affecting individuals' lives as there once were. You know, yes, we still have racism issues, we still have civil rights issues and everything else, but it, the civil rights issues now aren't the same as they were in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And it gives, you know, people are you know, we need to do better with making sure that everybody makes a living wage and that they don't have to do, you know, three jobs and all this, these other things. But by and large, if you're living in the best of all possible times, that means the time that's spent uh, arguing and, and obsessing over issues that were once relatively minor will increase. And when you have somebody as awful as the current president mm-hmm. of the United States, and it appears that there's a good chunk of people who just don't care. They don't care about the truth. Oh, yeah, he lies. Everybody lies. Okay, but not everybody lies as much, and shouldn't he be held to a higher standard? I would prefer to have a president uh, that actually uh, respected the position, that was going to be honest, that was, you know, it's it's a mess. And because of that, I think we're getting distracted by by some smoke and mirrors. Like, we're spending so much time talking about we're shutting the government down about a wall mm-hmm. and the president clearly doesn't understand climate change at all. Mm-hmm. You know, when Amy Klobuchar announced that she was running for president and she did it in the snowstorm, he of course did the, <laughs> I don't know the difference between weather and climate for the 95th time. Um, but I think that there's, when there's this big issue, which for the, in the United States is the president and what has happened to the Supreme Court since we essentially elected him. Um, people don't care that much about religion at, as, as they did maybe three or four years ago. Mm-hmm. And if you look at like the demographics in the United States, I've done like most conventions, most gatherings are have been in the southern and, and middle United States. I don't think, I've never been to Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont. Uh, I did do a debate in Massachusetts, uh, and I have been up to North Dakota, so it's not just all the South. But those areas where there's you know more cities and generally they're more liberal, the religion isn't as much of an issue. And I'm seeing that kind of trend to where some things are so bad that we're just not going to spend time talking about religion. Mm-hmm. And yet, despite all that, the atheist experience has six phone lines and they are full of callers from 30 to 40 minutes before the show hmm. until sometimes an hour and a half after we're supposed to end the show. Oh, wow. So I think I have some job security, even though it's not, <laughs> I'm not, it's not technically a job. I just do it for fun. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I wish. I am not pessimistic about it. I'm not optimistic about it. I'm basically in a state of uncertainty as 
you know, an atheist citizen of the United States. And as we move towards the 2020 election, uh, I'm, I'm in fully agreement with, with some things that uh, American atheists have said recently, which is I would like to see atheists going out to all these people who are running for office and say, hi, I'm an atheist. What do you plan to do for me? Mm-hmm. And it's not just about, you know, oh, let me vote for the person who's going to get me and my group something. I want to see what their reactions are. I want to see how they respond to the A word. I want to see if they've put any thought into any of this at all, recognizing that the secular community is bigger than the Jewish community in the United States. uh, And they need to take that into account. Then we shouldn't just be worried about, you know, we've got the genital grabbing commander in chief douchebag uh, (laughs) because he's really not doing that much. Yeah, he barely works. Yeah. Oh, work so hard. <laughs> he works the most. No president ever worked harder. <laughs> he works at his golf swing. That's what he works at. That sounds like a great job for the ACA, actually. And you guys go out there at the, as the ACA and say, okay, you know what? We're This is how many members we have, and uh, especially in Texas. And say, okay, what are you guys going to do for us? I think that's a, that's a great idea. I know there's plans to do some stuff like that. And in the past, the ACA has done a voter's guide where every person running for office in Texas, we would send out a questionnaire and then we would publish Um basically a big chart which was mostly empty because most of them don't respond at all yeah. mm. no, that sucks. which is still good information if yeah. i send it out you know uh we had some people who who did respond i think we got a good chunk of libertarian candidates that responded and and of course as one would expect their answers were all over the map <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not even sure how they can I, I don't know, I'm sure how libertarians can identify as a as a group yeah. when they have violently different positions on seemingly everything. Yes, absolutely. I'm still flabbergasted that you went to North Dakota. I thought that was an invention of the media. I didn't actually think this place actually existed. Well, it's south of you. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Matt, thank you so much for joining us today on the show. We really, really appreciate that. But uh, Mike is all yours, my friend. Uh, be shameless. Plug yourself. If people want to find out more about Matt Hunt, your channels, whatever they can find you, where can they reach you? Oh, crap. This is the part that I'm never good at. Um, so <laughs> MattDelhunty.com is um, it's, it's still under Pangburn's control. So, I mean, technically they can go there, but it's not going to do them any good because like the booking link isn't going to get them to be able to book me. So the big thing is just atheist debates is the Patreon project that I do. I release now four videos a month. Um, some of them are about, uh, how to have better debates and some of them about specific topics and some of them about, you know, within, within religion and some of them are outside of it in, in uh, logic and epistemology and stuff. Um, that's patreon.com slash atheist debates. Or you can go to YouTube and search for Matt Dillahunty Atheist Debates. Um, I don't know. Just I, I would say just Google my name, but evidently some people can't spell it. So it's <laughs> D-I-L-L-A-H-U-N-T-Y. Uh, you'll probably find my stuff or you can email if you can't. Perfect. Matt, before I let you go, i got to have you say, Hi, this is Matt Dillahunty and I took a left to the valley. Hi, this is Matt Dillahunty and I took a left at the valley. Fantastic. And that was the one, the only, the legendary Matt Dillahunty. I'm in love. Oh, what a conversation that was. <laughs> I, I'm, just, I'm just in love. He, he, you know, he's such a guy to talk to. I mean, yeah. he, he's extremely serious in his talking. He's making some fantastic points. 
But you know, at the same time, you can't just you, you just you just want to sit down, and relax, He's just a drink, regular, and listen just to the guy, regular guy, yeah. from Austin. Yeah, what could be better? I actually, I literally, like I said in, in, in an interview, I actually do get nervous when Matt is on. He, you know, in a way. Did you feel at all nervous? Yes. You yes. Really, even during even the whole, now, I was so relaxed. I, I, you know, I, I am not worthy. That's that's yeah. that's, that's the way I'm looking at it. All these guys, he's like, hey, this is great. I've talked to uh, Seth Andrews. I've talked to this and talked to that. That's great. I've talked to Ron Raw. But Matt, when it comes to Matt, it's like Matt. For Christ's sake, I'm so worried of making a mistake and making myself look like an idiot. This, he's the real deal. Yeah. He's down to earth. He's himself. He oh, doesn't yeah. put anybody in an awkward position or make them feel intimidated he's just he's just it yeah he's, yeah. he's absolutely and great and he's single you think he likes older women <laughs> <laughs> oh I boy mean, the, really the rumors we could start with that oh perfect <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us on the show today, guys. And thank you to Matt Delahunty for being with us. And thank you for listening. You can find us at leftandvalley.com. You can follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, at LETV Podcast. Send us an email, questions, anything you want to comment. Leftandvalley at outlook.com. Send your complaint to Nancy on the third floor. But be sure to duck the knife, <laughs> the incoming knife. Um, give us a five-star review where you find us. It really helps us and it helps others find the show. And you can also support us now on Patreon slash LETV. All right, coming up. Okay, let's see. Let me pull my schedule here. I'm buying this. Uh, let's see. So next week, we'll be talking to the guys from Godless Heathen. That'll be oh, interesting. Nice. And then we'll get into March. And March, we'll be talking to the Skeptical Texans. These are two guys that go from church to church. Tell them what it's like to be an atheist. We'll also be talking to the guy from Atheist News with Steve. Pop up there. Steve DiMarco, thank you. And then we'll be talking to the Utah Outcast. And then we have our anniversary show on the 23rd. And like I said, if you have a question you want us to answer, send us to uh, send it to us, leftavalley at outlook.com. And then we'll be talking next year, I guess, uh, next sixth year, I guess, we started. Uh, we'll be talking to Richard Carrier. And then we'll also have Joel Backen, Professor Joel Backen, talk about how corporations are psychopath. They are. And we'll also have Dr. Matthew... Well, let me pop it up here. Dr. Matthew Hussinger will talk about conspiracy theories. So we got lots of great, great, great shows coming on the line. And we will do another show where Kirsten will be the only one asking questions to yep. Matt Dillahunty. Ah, that's but that, can that'll we, like, be a show. write out our questions and give it to her? Yes. Okay. So you and I are basically going to have to do some duct tape and not talk. And yep. Nancy and Kirsten will be the only one talking to Matt Dillahunty. Nancy will show. just, like, have, have like, a, a gun pointed at us. Like, don't <laughs> say a word. <laughs> oh, at right. least I'm not in it alone. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> Anything else I need to add to this, guys? We're all good? Hug a puppy. Hug a puppy. Hug a puppy. And don't keep it, Steve. Hey, no. <laughs> hey. We're not getting into that. Uh, they, no, I can no, keep my no, puppy's teeth no, if I want no, to. No, no, I'm shutting you down. They're a piece of her. I've shut teeth. you down. I've muted the microphone. I'm making negative out of them. <laughs> Thank you so much, guys. Until next time. I guess that's why the dog looks at me funny. Sitting there. <laughs> that may be one of the reasons. Yes. <laughs> Poor Matt's gonna listen. He's gonna be listening to this. What kind of? What the hell? I've been I- listening. <laughs> well, you know what you got yourself in for now. Sorry, Matt. We apologize right off the bat. The problem is, is that somebody's like, "Hey, 
we'd like to do an interview with you. How about 30 minutes? And I'm like, well, I talk a lot and I barely say my name in five minutes. So I don't know what you're going to get in 30, but I'll do what I can. I, I, I think we have a very good show with that. Absolutely. Wait, is, is Kirsten still here? Yeah. Yes. Did you say anything? Nope. That's normal. <laughs> Kirsten, Kirsten okay. doesn't say much. I'll, I'll, make, I'll make you a deal. You guys pick a time uh, somewhere, maybe like after April first, and Kirsten's the only one who can ask questions. Oh, love it. Oh I love yeah. it. Deal. It's a deal. Deal. It's a deal. Right. Perfect. I still have. Uh, if so, she stops, if she stops blushing, we're gonna be okay. <laughs> <laughs>